Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, good morning. And once again, as Pastor Dan has already said, welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you here this morning. All month long, we've been talking about storms. And I think we've made it crystal clear that we all face storms from time to time. And all means all, no exceptions. Storms are seasons or periods of time in our life where we experience increased adversity, challenge, and hardship. And even with our transparency about how devastating and destructive storms could be and can be, the goal of this series is to once again remind you that even when we face trials of many kinds, God is with us. That means that we can find some peace and even some comfort with each and every storm. Now, Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, says, My soul finds rest in God alone. I love that part of that verse. In God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will never be shaken. Now the ground beneath you may shake periodically. And please believe me when I tell you these days, there's a whole lot of shaking taking place. But one thing is constant, the faithfulness of our God. He is a sure foundation and he is with us. Do you believe that? God is with us. He's proven that throughout the generations. He is with us today. Now, for the benefit of those who may have missed a Sunday or two, three weeks ago in lesson number one of this series, we talked about physical health storms. Sudden sickness, disease, physical or emotional illness that can strike like an earthquake. Sometimes sickness comes out of nowhere. It can shake us to the core, take us by surprise. And now I mean completely turn our world upside down. Lesson number two was all about financial storms. And just like a tsunami, job loss, bankruptcy, mounting consumer debt, and bill collections is all extremely devastating. And the aftermath or attempting to recover from financial loss can be overwhelming at times. Last week in lesson number three, Pastor Chris covered relational storms, times when emotional and sensitive issues can cause our relationships to spiral out of control like a tornado. And as you well know, this kind of stormy weather can oftentimes leave life twisted and chaotic. But again, storms do not have the final say. God does. And even though, personally, I am not fond of storms at all, I still believe God uses the storm in our lives. He gets our attention, and if we're listening, we can hear him speak very clearly through the storm. All right, today, in the fourth and final installment of this series, I want to talk to you about spiritual storms. More specifically, the times when we experience a definite and undeniable 
spiritual attack of the enemy. That's what we want to talk about today. And when we talk about spiritual storms or spiritual warfare, we have to be aware of two primary misconceptions or two main errors. The first error is overemphasis. Say that. Overemphasis. And by that I mean blaming everything that happens to us. Every sin, every mistake, every failure, every problem, every issue. Blaming it on the devil. Always looking over our shoulder to see if there's a demon coming at us. And so let's just say you walk into a department store and you see some merchandise that you really want. I mean, you've got to have this merchandise. But you don't have the money for it. But you want it anyway. So you take that merchandise, put it in your pocket or in your purse, and you leave the store without paying for it. And when you get caught, your only defense is, the devil made me do it. I don't think so. Other than Flip Wilson, it doesn't count for the rest of us. And yes, in your defense, technically speaking, any temptation to shoplift or steal is usually coming from demonic or ungodly influence. But I wouldn't put what I just described in the category of a spiritual attack. I would just say that was poor judgment on your part. See, the first error is overemphasis. Anyone care to guess what the second error might be? Underemphasis. Sharp crowd right here. Really sharp. And now I mean completely ignoring the idea of spiritual conflict at all in your life. Refusing to acknowledge or believe that there is a devil. And then failing to understand that his mission is to completely ne and negatively influence us away from God. Friends, you would be surprised at the number of good Christian people who laugh at the notion or the concept of a devil. They just don't believe it. Or they don't want to believe that there is this ungodly influence or ungodly presence in our lives. Now, when I make the statement that God has a plan and a purpose for you, do you believe that? Yes. Well, you should, because he does. God does have a plan for each and every one of us. But check it out. So does the devil. The scripture is clear, and I can back this up in many different places, but his desire for you and I is destruction. That's what he's all about. In fact, the devil is the thief that Jesus referred to in John chapter 10 and verse 10. And his objective is to steal, kill, and destroy from you and from me. That's what he's all about. That's what he wants to do. Devastate us, lead us away from God, and bring destruction. And that knowledge shouldn't create fear for you. It shouldn't cause you to be afraid. It just should bring some awareness and some discernment. And in 1 Peter 5.8, the apostle Peter, the man who walked with Jesus one of the top disciples, he said, 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert. In other words, wake up. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That word devour in the Greek does not mean a snack or to take a bite and eat a little bit. 
It means to consume and to feast on and to swallow. And as you well know, in Christ, we sang all about this this morning, we have power and authority over the enemy. When you resist the enemy, when you resist Satan, he has to flee from you. If you tell him to get out, he has to take a hike. But there are so many believers today who have not exercised the authority they have over the enemy, and they allow the devil to push them around, to have a field day with them. And please believe me when I tell you, Satan doesn't play fair. He will exploit your weaknesses. And when the spiritual attack starts, it can continue like a monsoon. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It just doesn't go away. Contrary to popular opinion and popular belief, a monsoon is a reversing wind. And a reversing wind that causes there to be a ton of rain or a prolonged drought. So with a monsoon, sometimes it can rain for days like there's no tomorrow. And then it could be so dry, everything gets scorched. And spiritually speaking, the devil is a master at both. He can rain down worry, fear, and doubt in buckets with no end in sight. And he can also fill us with guilt and condemnation and shame and emotional insecurity that causes us to feel so empty and desolate on the inside. This is the type of thing that the enemy is involved in in our lives. And again, Jesus made it very clear. He said the enemy has a plan, and it's not a very good one. Now, in his writings, the Apostle Paul, confirming a lot of what Jesus had to say, he gives us some tremendous insight for readiness and to spiritually prepare ourselves for stormy weather. And I want to give you that instruction in just a moment, but I want to remind you that if there was anyone who experienced spiritual warfare, it was Paul. The enemy just came after him, stayed on his case, and would not let up. I mean, time after time after time, the enemy harassed Paul. In fact, on one occasion, when Paul was writing to the Christians at Rome, he said, I had every intention of coming to visit with you. In fact, I planned it over and over again, but Satan hindered me. That's the terminology that Paul used. I had it in my schedule. I had it in my plans, but Satan hindered me. And Paul said the devil, Satan himself, was relentless in his attack. And this is a typical tactic of the enemy. He wants to oppose you, He wants to impede your forward progress. He is a master at hindering us, especially when we're trying to take strides uh, in our walk with God. So let's take a look at some of the instruction that Paul gave to us in Ephesians chapter 6, very familiar portion of scripture for most of you, Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12, and again, Paul was pretty much the expert when it comes to spiritual warfare or spiritual storms. Verse 10, Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Do what? Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, his strategies, his plans, his activity. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against people, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, or more specifically, the devil's headquarters. Now, let's pause here for just a moment. Let me ask you, could it be any clearer than this? Where is all of this opposition, hatred, and spiritual warfare coming from? Your spouse? From your neighbor or a co-worker or an in-law? And it's very clear. It's all coming from Satan himself. The darkness is coming from principalities and powers in high places. And listen now, every spiritual attack is calculated. It's well organized and planned out. And again, the devil knows our flaws and our weaknesses. He knows where we're vulnerable. And he exploits those vulnerabilities. That's why Paul instructs us here in this passage to put on the full armor of God. To make sure that we're dressed for battle. And with that full armor in place, with these weapons of warfare, we can take our stand against the enemy and actually square off with the devil. That means not just cowering in the corner on defense, but actually going on the offensive. You know, taking positive strides to defeat the enemy. Now, look at verse 13. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning with verse 13. Again, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and trust me, it's here, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and then pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Okay, in a parallel verse in 2 Corinthians 10.4, Paul teaches us, This, he says, the weapons we fight with, the weapons that I just outlined and described for you in Ephesians 6, all of those weapons that we just read about, they're not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, these weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We're talking about spiritual strongholds. That means that the armor that God has provided for us The spiritual armor and weapons of warfare listed here in 2 Corinthians 10 and in Ephesians chapter 6, they are extremely essential for each and every one of us. In fact, they are the only way that we're ever going to stand firm in the faith and survive the storms. And so in the time remaining this morning, I want to give you 
in random order, five common schemes the devil uses against us. Five strategies or five negative influences that, the sat that Satan uses to hinder and to distract and to oppose us. And then after I identify each of those uh, five schemes, one at a time, what I want to do is give you a corresponding piece of armor or spiritual weapon from Ephesians chapter 6, and you can use that weapon to neutralize the darkness. Okay, do you get it? Yeah. All right, so first I want to give you the, the scheme or the strategy of the enemy, and then right after I give that to you, I'm going to give you God's counterpunch. What he said we can use to defeat the enemy at his own game. All right, so we're ready? Yes. All right, scheme number one is doubt. D-O-U-B-T. Say that, doubt. Doubt is a feeling of uncertainty. It means to lack confidence. And it's something that we all have to deal with. Doubt. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation in the lobby after the service with a community Christian church member who's been here for a long, long time. And this gal said to me, Pastor, I know you have faith because you talk about it all the time. But can I ask you, honestly, do you ever have doubts? You know, I couldn't answer that question fast enough. Of course I do. We all have doubts. Doubts are something that we all have to deal with. And doubt is a tool that the enemy uses to cause us to question God. That's the reason why the enemy uses doubt, because he wants us to question whether or not what we know about God or what we think about God is actually true. So doubt will cause you to question God's love and commitment to you. Does he really love me? Does God really care about me? Doubt uh, will create within your mind an uncertainty as to whether or not the provision of God or the promises of God are true. Especially when those promises seem to be non-existent. When you read a verse of scripture and it tells you something and it makes a statement and, and you hold on to it, but it just doesn't seem to be operating in your life, that can create some doubt. And doubt in and of itself is not a sin. People think that when they have doubts, it's a sin. It's not. What's most important is what you do with the doubt that comes to you. Just like temptation. Temptation is not a sin. But what you do after temptation is extremely important. You know, there's a guy in the New Testament by the name of John the Baptist. God raised him up to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ to actually prepare the people for the coming of Jesus. His ministry was predicted by, John the, by the, uh, Isaiah the prophet some six, 700 years before John the Baptist was born. And the scripture tells us that on a day that Jesus was baptized, when he came to John the Baptist to be baptized, John saw him out of the corner of his eye, and he said, he just shouted it out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John said, This is the guy I've been telling you about. This is the one I've been preaching to you, every one of you that's come to my baptism. 
This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the Son of the living God. God revealed this to me so that I could prepare you to receive him. But you know, a short time later, after John the Baptist made that declaration that this Jesus is the Christ, not long after that, he was thrown in prison. But he wasn't thrown in prison because he committed a crime. He was put in prison for just doing the things that God had called him to do. He was preaching the truth. And Herod threw him in prison. And he was there for a while. You know, John the Baptist actually sent a couple of his buddies to Jesus with a question. Are you really the one? Or should we look for someone else? Friend, this is John the Baptist. One of the greatest prophets that ever lived. A man of God, called by God. Filled with doubt. One of the disciples of Jesus. One of the original 12 that Jesus handpicked after an entire night of prayer, never went to bed, never, never slept that night. He, he prayed all night. He picked his 12 disciples. His, his name was Thomas. Remember his nickname? He was the doubter. Just had a hard time believing. Needed to see everything for himself. Had to be proved to him. He needed proof. Jesus didn't kick him out of the group because he had doubts. Jesus wasn't offended with Thomas because he didn't believe that God raised him from the dead. No, in response to his doubt, Jesus went out of his way to address this matter. And on the other side of Jesus' special ministry to Thomas, Thomas does something that none of the other disciples did. Because when it was finally revealed to Thomas who Jesus was, he got down on his knees and with tears in his eyes, he said, my Lord and my God. Amen. It was one of the most powerful confessions of faith recorded anywhere in the Bible. Peter didn't say it. John and James didn't say it. Thomas said it. My Lord and my God. God doesn't have a problem when we have doubts. God doesn't look at us negatively when there's uncertainty and we have questions because we're all going to have questions. It's what we do with it afterwards. And when I have doubts, when the devil's chasing me down with uncertainty because something that I was convinced of, that the Lord would do for me didn't happen, when I was believing and standing strong and it didn't come to pass, when it happens, I look for truth. I go back to what I know to be true. What I have already fully embraced where there is no doubt, there is no question, and I hold on to that with all of my heart. See, that's why in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul says, you want to stand firm? Then having done all to stand, stand with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The what? The belt of truth. And now I mean wrapped around a couple of times and securely in place. Amen. Right about now, some of you might be asking the same question that Pilate asked Jesus. Pastor, what is truth? 
It's so obscure these days. It's just almost impossible to know. We hear so many opinions. We hear so many different sides. What is truth? You know how I would answer that question? Jesus. Jesus is truth. How do I know that? How do I know that? Jesus is truth. That's right. He said it. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, in a very intimate setting with his disciples, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Keep your eyes fixed on me. It's not a cliche. It's not a catch-all. Jesus is truth. Truth isn't what you think it is. It's not what somebody else tells you, what makes sense. It's not even what I tell you to be true. Truth is what Jesus said. So you want to overcome your doubts? Get a hold of what he instructed us to do. Okay, number two, and I took a whole lot longer with doubt than I really wanted to. I apologize. I, I promise the next four will be a lot shorter. Okay, number two. Wow. Deception. Say that. Deception. Deception is to mislead by false appearance or false statement. And the deception is always to gain an unfair advantage. Now, Proverbs 14, 25 says, a true witness delivers souls or saves souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. You see, deception is the same as a lie. Deception hides or manipulates the truth. And this is what the enemy tries to do to us. The enemy knows that if we have the truth, we're going to move ahead. We're going to plow ahead. So he tries to deceive us and manipulate the truth and to twist the truth. And so deception is like a lie. And who did Jesus said is the father of all lies? Satan himself. In fact, Jesus went on to say, that's his native language. He can't tell the truth. Even if he tried. He is a liar. And he's the father of all lies. And the reason why he's such a good liar is because he's been doing it for a long, long time. Now, a good weapon of warfare against deception is righteousness. And in Ephesians 6.14b, Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, a very important piece of our armor. Very important weapon is righteousness. And to make this really simple, righteousness is simply doing what's right. Not that hard. It's doing what's right. And so when the enemy comes to you and he lies to you and he tries to deceive you, don't take the bait. Don't let the enemy twist the truth and then you buy into it. Reach down into your heart of hearts where you know what truth is and just do what's right. Is it that simple? Absolutely. Because you all have, just like I have, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. He's inside of us. And the Holy Spirit's responsibility, his assignment is to lead us and guide us in all truth. So if we want to know the truth, he's going to lead us there. We may not know right from wrong, but he does. And since the Holy Spirit knows right from wrong, you will never get it wrong if you're listening. Let me tell you, 
Every single time you have a decision to make, there's this little thing called conviction. It's the conviction power of the Holy Spirit. It's what God uses to get you walking in the right direction. And so if we were to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we would never be deceived. Did you hear me? It's that little voice, the one we shut off when we don't want to hear that. But if we listen to it, deception would go away. All right, spiritual darkness, scheme number three is delay. What I like to call divine delay. When you're waiting for God to come through for you, to do something on your behalf, and it's just not happening. That's when the devil loves to attack your mind, and it's during a delay. And so what happens, if you follow this illustration and scenario, you go into the waiting room with a whole lot of faith in God, and you put your best patience hat on. And you say, I'm going to wait for God. Nothing's going to move me. I'm going to wait until God responds on my behalf and you're filled with trust and you're filled with confidence with God in God and, and you just got all of this good stuff going for you but then it gets a little bit long a whole lot longer than you thought and that's when the enemy begins to whisper worst case scenario to you and before you know it your mind is out of control and you're all stressed out and you're filled with nervousness and and um, restlessness and high anxiety, and you get stuck in that exact spot, waiting for God to move on your behalf during the delay. What's a great weapon of warfare to use when you need to ease your mind? Anyone? It's called peace. Remember that one? The peace of God that passes all understanding. And in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, Paul says, having your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's the good news of peace. The thing that we typically tuck aside when we're going through stress. Now, when I leave the house, not 90% of the time, not 99% of the time, but every single time I leave the house, 100%, say that, 100%, 100% of the time, the last thing I do before I leave my house is to put my shoes on. I do that every time. This might be different in your house, but I don't wear shoes in my house with the exception of maybe when I'm on the treadmill, I put tennis shoes on. It's easier to run on a treadmill with tennis shoes. Other than that, I do not put on shoes until I'm ready to leave the house, and putting my shoes on has almost become like a ceremony for me because what it indicates to me is that I'm ready. I put my shoes on, I have all my stuff in place, I'm ready to leave the house, and I'm ready to face the day. And I think this is a little bit of what Paul was talking about here. Spiritual readiness. Feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Wherever you go, you're ready to go with the peace of God. All the problems we're going to face during the day. All of the issues that come against us. The traffic delays. The construction. 
everything that we have to go through. It's a whole lot easier when you have taken with you the gospel of peace. And we can get that peace from the Prince of Peace who provides it for us. A peace you don't find in the world. It is a divine weapon of warfare. Okay, uh, number four, discouragement. We talked a lot about discouragement in lesson number two. Discouragement may very well be the number one tool that the enemy uses against the the people of God. Probably the most prominent scheme or tactic that the enemy uses is discouragement. Because life is full of discouraging circumstances. How many of you would agree with that statement? Just about everywhere you look, and no matter where you turn, you find devastation and discouragement. Even the most blessed people, listen to me, even the most blessed people, the most successful people, the most spiritually mature people, they encounter disappointment and discouragement. And the worst thing about discouragement is if you let it, it will cause you to give up. And I've seen this so many times. To throw in the towel. To just go through the motions of life. And maybe you can fake everybody out. Maybe you can put a nice smile on your face and a jump in your step and nobody ever knows. But deep down inside, undeniably the joy is gone. So many people are living in that place of discouragement. And I I have to tell you, you, you've heard me talk about this before personally. I identified discouragement in my life years and years ago, and I know this will come as a shock to you, but sometimes the ministry can be a little discouraging. You know, there's some things that happen when you deal in ministry that can kind of get you down And so I had to come up with a plan. And I executed my plan. Because on occasion, when I find myself down in the dumps and I can't get out of it, I just let myself stay there. And I have a wonderful, beautiful pity party in my place of the dumps for one day. Sometimes I set the clock. I take all 24 hours, every minute, Seriously, when that day is, when that 24-hour period is done, I quote what David said in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I convince myself that that is true. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I know, for the most part, it's not that simple. I understand. And I'm not at all trying to minimize uh, the discouragement, the ongoing depression that people deal with. And I know it's a big deal. But I've learned the best way, friends, the only way to overcome discouragement, the number one tool of the enemy against us is with the word of God. Searching through the scripture and finding some level of joy, peace, and sustenance from God's written word. And in Ephesians 6.16, again, as a part of the full armor of God, Paul said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
We need to learn to draw strength and comfort from God's word. In fact, Jesus said a good way to pray is to say, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Daily bread will strengthen you. Spiritual bread will strengthen you and help you to overcome discouragement. Okay, the fifth and final scheme or strategy of the devil is distraction. Say that, distraction. And by distraction, I mean becoming preoccupied with the little things. All the little things of life that are important, they're necessary. They need our attention. But listen, if we're not careful, the little things in life will keep you from doing the big thing that God has called you to do. If you heard me say one thing, hear this. The little things in this life will keep you from doing the big thing that God has called you to do. The thing that God has created you to do. And we addressed this one in great detail last month during the Get in the Game series. That's all we talked about was how distracted we can get. You know, Solomon said it this way. Solomon said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's not always the big mistakes or the big issues that get in the way. It's not always the big things that derail us. It's the little things. And sometimes what we need to do is just slow down and prioritize what we're involved in. And Paul said a good way to do that, a good way to keep our priorities straight is through prayer. Seek the Lord's will in prayer. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is important. Prayer will help you to focus in on what is essential in your life. And I'll extend the invitation to you like we normally do. One week from this Wednesday on November the 7th from 7 o'clock until 8, one hour, we'll be praying together. We invite you to come and join us. All right, so there's five schemes. There's more, but I gave you five. There's doubt, deception, delay, discouragement, and distraction. But we have divine weapons to defeat the darkness. It's a lot of D's, but hopefully they'll help you to remember. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for blessing us with a full set of armor. You did not leave us defenseless. And we know, Lord, the battle is yours. The victory is ours. The battle is yours. And we know that, Lord. But today we're standing on the battleground and we're desiring more than anything else, Lord, to be firm in our faith, to trust you, to move forward in you, to know, Lord God, that the enemy is real. His intention is destruction, but you have given us weapons of warfare that are not carnal. They're not the world's weapons. They're mighty. They're divine to the pulling down of strongholds. And for every indication of the enemy's strategy against us, you have provided us with a powerful response. And I pray, Lord God, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would be vigilant, that we would be awake and alert. And we would see the enemy coming from a distance. We would hear his growl. 
And we would know, Lord God, that he's coming to us with all of these activities, these negative influences. But Lord, we're ready. We're prepared. We're dressed for battle. Give us, Father. I pray that you would bless this congregation with eyes that are open, with full discernment. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to be able to see in the spirit realm. We know that you're with us. We know, Lord God, that you will not leave us or forsake us. You are a sure foundation for us at all times. Help us to be ready, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.